title of this message this morning is a little different, I guess. It's a death you can predict. In John chapter 12, Jesus predicts his own death. You and I can't do that. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. We, we put our hearts into God's hands, and, it's, and it's, it's totally his prerogative when he stops that heart and we leave this earth. But Jesus knew exactly when it was going to happen for him. And I've heard this question before. Why did Jesus have to die? I'm going to let Dr. Andy Bannister from Ravi Zacharias Ministry, he, he explains a little better than I can. So let's watch this clip. Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God simply snap his fingers and forgive us? That's a common question I get, often from my Muslim friends, because the Quran, the scripture of Islam, claims that Allah, the God of Islam, is merciful and forgiving. And so my Muslim friends say, you don't need a cross. You don't need Jesus to die. God can simply wave his hands and forgive us. How do we respond? Well, think about the word forgiving. Think, of, think about the word mercy for a moment. Mercy means, by definition, getting what you don't deserve. If I'm hauled up before the judge, convicted of a crime, found guilty, but the judge exercises mercy and lets me go, well, I haven't got the punishment I deserve. The mercy of the judge has been exhibited at the price of justice. Mercy is always exercised at the expense of justice. And in every other religion, that is in fact a contradiction. Because every other religion that I know of often wants to talk about God being merciful and God being just. Islam makes that claim. But if the God of the Quran just simply forgives us uh, without punishing us, if there's no payment for our sin, then he may have been merciful, but he hasn't been just. And there is a contradiction right there in the heart of the religion. And that's true of every other religion except one. And only one religion that I know of is God both merciful and forgiving and is God both judge and holy and righteous. And that's Christianity. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, God exercised his mercy not at the expense of his justice, but through his justice. Because Jesus paid the price for our sin, a price that we couldn't pay ourselves. At the cross, there was punishment, yes, but there was also forgiveness. The cross holds those two attributes of God together. You see, if I lend you my iPad, and you bring it back to me and you've broken it. And I say to you, don't worry about the fact you've broken it. Don't worry, I'll deal with it. And you walk away, you've been forgiven, I've shown mercy, but there's been a price. I've had to pay the price. Whenever there is true forgiveness, whenever there is real mercy, somebody has to pay the price. Only in Christianity does God pay that price. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God paid the price. Jesus, his son, paid the price of his life that each one of us might know true forgiveness and true mercy, but not at the expense of justice. Well, we say this a lot, that you and I don't get what we deserve. If we did, it wouldn't be so good. John chapter 12 is our text this morning. Here's verses 20 through 22. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem to attend the Passover paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Greeks are Gentiles, and many devout Jews look down on most Gentiles. This is an interesting observation here that they included the Greeks in the event of the final week of Christ's life, actually. And John continues his pattern, including Gentiles the world all along the way. Chapter 1, verse 12 and 316. Remember, famous verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We know that verse. He was preparing the way. 
Jesus came for the Jews, but they didn't want him. So he opened the door for the rest of us to come in. And that, that's exactly, he's getting, getting us ready for that. John is when he uh, writes that. And his readers um, that are non-Jewish at that time probably took encouragement by hearing those words. Many places in the Old Testament, like Psalm 22, Gentiles are called dogs. It is a derogatory remark. The Jews had placed themselves in a pious way above everybody else on the face of this earth. So in their mind, there were only two classes, Jews and Gentiles. And if you weren't Jew, you were pretty much, you were pretty much out of it. So Jesus opened the door. I, I, I don't know if we talk about this very much, but, but Jesus opened the door to a lot of different groups that were maligned and put aside, actually. He opened the door to women. He brought them in the kingdom and turned them from property into something valuable and of equal value to God than men. That had never been done before, especially in that culture. It was totally opposite. Women were pretty much beneath them, as it is in the Muslim world today. Women are not on the same plane as men. So it behooves me, it blows me away why a woman, especially in America, would want to be a Muslim because she has given up her rights as a woman to become a piece of property. That makes no sense to me. But nonetheless, that's, that's pretty much the way it is. But, but so people would say, when the Jews would ask, who let those dogs in here? Uh, all fingers point to Christ. And he allowed us Gentiles to come in to be his children and to sit at his table. Here's Jesus' reply in verse 23 to 24 to Philip and Andrew. Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. The truth is a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. Unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified through death and resurrection. Scripture says in 12, 19 that the whole world went, had been after, went after Jesus. Even the Greeks wanted to see him. It was something new. The, the religion, so to speak, was pretty much dead up until that time. And here this, this fresh breath blows into the world in Christ. And here he is raising people from the dead. People, their skin rotten off their bones, and he speaks a word or touches them. And the baby, they have baby skin again. Blind eyes are able to see. This really woke the place up, and they wanted to see what was going on. So that's why they did that. So Christ had set the stage, and if there ever was a time in his ministry where he could have stepped in and, and, and become king and ruled over the nation was the time, but that wasn't his purpose. He faced the heart-troubling hour that was upon him. His whole life... Who knows when it first became aware of him? We had never seen God with skin on before. We don't know what it was like as a child to a degree. He went to the temple at 12 and amazed the teachers, and he knew then what his purpose was. And from that moment on, I am sure that it passed his mind a lot during the course of his day that this hour would finally come, and it had finally come. He was going to have to die. And I am sure as he walked and traversed around Israel. He had seen many crucifixions. He knew what was before him. He knew the agony. He knew what was going to happen. So that was in his mind. Now remember, God was skin on, but he, the Scripture tells us that also he was fully human, and it's hard for us to grasp that. Verse 
24 says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. It, this beautifully pictures this, the necessary sacrifice of Jesus that like a grain of wheat, it would have to die as Christ would have to die and bring forth fruit. And he would bring a lot more f- fruit by doing this than he would becoming king of Israel, actually. Instead, by being lifted up on the cross, Jesus would draw all people to himself. And that includes you and I. His death becomes our only way to life. Jesus' death would lead to glory and life for him and for all who believe in him. I was not raised as a religious person. God chose me. I didn't choose him. But in that whole process, I had to make that choice. And, and today, the reason I am a follower of Christ and not a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or some other of the million cults that are out there, Jesus is the only one that defeated death. Only one. Other religions offer a lot of different things, benefits, what you will. In Islam, they offer you 12 virgins in heaven. Brothers, one woman's enough for anybody. I'll guarantee you that. You only need one. That's it. I love her with all my heart, but you only need one. That's it. God. But Jesus came. He lived. He died. And he rose again. And he has proved to me that we are immortal people, that there is a soul in us that will never die. And because of him, he has offered this glorious kingdom and this place that we dream about and talk about called heaven, that, that I am convinced when he stops this heart is I will be ushered into the very presence of Christ. That it's why I believe what I believe. It's why I would die for this. And that is the reason. And that's what Jesus has said. I came for this hour to do this so you could have eternal life. And that's exactly what he's saying. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 36, 42 through 44, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin that whoever believes would have eternal life with him. 25 through 27, John 12. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. This is a difficult scripture. It's a difficult scripture because it pins us down. There is no black and white here. There's no rationality at all. It is black and white, and it means what it says. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who despise their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. All those who want to be my disciples must come and follow me because my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me, the Father will honor them. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But that is the very reason why I came. This message comes from one who lived what he mandated for his followers. True followers of Jesus must have their priorities in order. They must choose to love. If they choose to love their own lives more than their masters, they will lose the life that they seek to maintain. They don't go together. True disciples must be willing to suffer and experience rejection, even unto death. These are words that, that don't play well in this culture, and a lot of times they don't even play well in our lives. And here we are, followers of Christ. How do we compromise? 
How much do we compromise to avoid rejection? How many times do we fail to speak when the Holy Spirit urges us to? And we know it's from God. He has opened up this window of opportunity, this, this divine appointment, if you will, for us to be Jesus to the people in our lives. And we know it. We can't rationalize that away, but we get tongue-tied. Our, our hands get sweaty. Too often... We turn into spiritual mutes and paralyze believers when there is a chance of being rejected. And too often I feel we compromise with our peers doing things and things things we know that are wrong just to fit in. Peter did it three times. Peter, who was with Christ, saw him rise, raise Lazarus from the dead, heal leprosy, make crippled people walk. Heal blind people. He was with him with all that. Saw him walk on the water. Invited him to get out of the boat. This was Peter, mind you. He denied Christ three times. I picture this story around the campfire when Jesus was before Pilate. And Jesus could see out through the hall of judgment. And he could see Peter. And the third time that Peter rejected Christ and the rooster crowed, their eyes locked. Can, can you imagine what was going on in Peter's heart? And I do believe it happens to us. That God sets this up for us to be him, and we know the moment is right, but we just can't, we just can't pull the trigger. Fear, anxiety, call it what you will, it comes in and we don't, and then we kick ourselves later. I, I've happened, it's happened to me too often, actually. That I see it too late. That it's down the road. And you know what? I, I think... When God plays that video of our life back at the judgment seat of Christ, I, I wonder if those moments will be noticed. And, 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 and God will say, look where you, look where you missed this chance. I, I had this other person's heart ready for the gospel, ready for you to dig in there and tell them about the love that I offer. But you, you didn't do it. You know, I... I hope we fully understand that to serve and follow Jesus means making a radical lifestyle change. You should see Christ in your goals, your interests, your hobbies, your career choices, your habits. To follow Jesus means going the way he went, not the way of the world, but the way of humility and death. That, that's tough for us. Everything that Jesus did was for God's glory. When we choose to live for him, we choose to live for God's glory alone. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God. We all were brought in this world to glorify God. We all have different walks of life, and God has got us in different places and going down different paths. But you've got to go back to that. The chief end of man is to glorify God. That is why we walk and live and breathe and exist on this earth. It's like the, the song that Paul chose, Paul, Steve chose this morning about fear is a liar. That, 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 is, that is huge. In the movie Paul, the Apostle of Christ, uh, we see this scene. Paul's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Luke overcomes his fear and anxiety about entering Rome to see Paul on fear of arrest and death. And if you notice, Nero would take Christians and make torches out of them. And you see some of those bodies burning in this clip. Let's watch.
nothing more. fear like that. We all have fears of some kind or another, and it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can overcome them. But when the Holy Spirit puts that on your heart to speak out, it's, it's kind of a scary thing sometimes, actually. Luke's service to Christ was more important than his own life and safety. And our life in Christ should be our main priority. Christ calls us to complete commitment. And therein the rubber meets the road in our lives, my friends. Because we have to choose every day. Are we going to let this stinking old nature run my life? Or am I going to let the Holy Spirit do it? It's a choice we make every morning before we get out of bed, actually. This is tough scripture right here. What does Jesus mean when he tells us to hate our life in this world? Jesus wants us to be so committed to living for him that we hate our life by comparison. Loving our life means that we guard our life so jealously jealously that we squander it on our own pleasures and our own purpose because that becomes our major focus in life. What is best for me? What feels good for me? What do I want to do? Everything else is secondary. In contrast, hating our life means consistently using our resources to follow Christ. It doesn't mean that we long to die or that we're going to be careless or destructive with this precious life that God has given us, but that we are free from self-centeredness and are willing to die if doing so will glorify Christ. We must disown the tyrannical rule of our own self-centeredness by laying aside our striving for advantage, for security, and for pleasure, we serve God lovingly and freely, and we listen to His voice, and we do what He asks, and we go where He asks us to go. Because transferring ownership of our life brings genuine 
joy and in the end eternal life. You know, I've heard Grant and Bill and Dennis and many of us that go to Haiti, it's not that you really want to go sometimes, but you feel compelled because God has laid that on your heart and it's like a desire that He has put there that you want to fulfill. But you know what? Every time you go, every time you set foot on foreign soil and you get into the work that He's called you to do, you know that you're in the right place. You feel God's blessing like you can't, you can't explain it unless it's happened to you. And, and that's the way that it works. Because our humanness plays so much of a part in our life. And here in verse 27, Jesus understood being, being human and he shared these feelings. Now my soul is troubled. God was skin on who was there in the beginning. He was there when existence was breathed into existence. When man was made, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. He refuses to ask Jesus, or God to spare him from the cross because he had, knew that he was sent for this very purpose, and that was the cross. He knew that crucifixion lay ahead, and because of his humanness, he dreaded it. Those of you that get scheduled for things you don't want to do, those of you that have had surgery, which many of us have, we don't look forward to it. We write it on the calendar, and then the day, we count the days off, and at first we don't think about it so much. But as that date draws closer, whatever that might be, whether you go under the scalpel, whatever, it, it, you, you become a little more anxious about it because you know you're going to have to do it. And then finally you have it, and it's over, and, it, and it's better. And Jesus was in this point. Of course, nothing we, will happen to us that we can come close to, even come close in comparison. Jesus continues his thoughts about the Father in verse 28 and 29. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought it glory, and I will do it again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared that an angel had spoken to him. This is the third instance of God speaking audibly during the ministry of Jesus. First at his baptism, if you remember, a voice come down from heaven. This is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. And then at the transfiguration. And then here in John 12 again. It was a supernatural phenomenon that some heard and some didn't. I believe this, that those who were listening for God heard it and those that weren't listening didn't. And then Jesus said in verses 30 through 36 in John 12, then Jesus told them, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. The time of judgment for the world has come when the prince of this world will be cast out and when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. Die, asked the crowd. We understand from Scripture that the Messiah would live forever. Why are you saying the Son of Man will die? Who is this Son of Man you're talking about? Jesus replied, My light will shine out for you just a little while longer. Walk in it while you can, so you will not stumble when the darkness falls. If you walk in the darkness, you cannot see where you're going. Believe in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. If you are a follower of Christ, the voice of God speaks to you every day. 
The question is, are you listening? What is God saying to you, and what are you going to do about it? That those are the questions that we should have every day. Here are a couple of truths we've learned from this John 12 passage. First, we need to recognize our purpose here on earth as Jesus did when he said this very hour. Let you and I not fail to see your will will be done for this very purpose I have come to this hour. To this hour, the hour that he places you in other people's lives. That is your purpose. That is what he's called you to, and that's why he places you there, actually. We like to avoid things in life. You know people that need God. You, you probably have some issues in your life maybe you need to work on. It's human to avoid difficulty and pain. But remember, it is human to do this. But to obey the Father, we need to endure those tasks which otherwise we would just as soon decline. You know what? You and I need to ask people daily, you know where your life's going? Our passion for sharing the gospel can almost be measured by how deeply we recognize the lostness of others. Do we really believe that people we see every day are walking in darkness? Have we ever asked them, do you know where your life is going? We know people that have no plan, no purpose, no personal meaning in their lives. They have no goals, no mission. Their families are falling apart and their personal lives are empty. We know people like this. When we share with them, they may not take our direction. We offer them in Christ. And the hope that is there, but what does that say about you and I? If we know they are lost but never offer to help, realizing without Christ, these people are going to spend a forever in a burning hell. That, that should affect us. I think sometimes we become too callous to that, thinking, man, we're in, so we're safe. We're going to be all right. Can you honestly say this morning that everybody you know and love will be in that great coming home that will be in heaven with you? Can you honestly say that this morning? I can't. And, and that's the point that it should, be, it should be burned into our hearts, actually, that these people are lost. The second truth is this, to recognize we are to shine God's spotlight through our lives. Jesus used the word glorify, and the Greek means brightness and beauty. We are to spread God's brightness and beauty by reflecting that into other people's lives, even in a dark world, actually. I know you've been places in dark rooms or whatever. It doesn't take much light to show the way. Even a candle can do that. Jesus said he would be with them in person for a while, and then they should take advantage of that, and he would pass the torch, so to speak, give them the flame, and then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and illuminated the spiritual world. The Holy Spirit came. He indwells us. He gives us guidance. He gives us direction. He gives us words to say and actions to perform for God. That, and that's, that's the way that the Christian life works, and that's why we should be open to that. How brightly does your light shine? We talk about a little kid's song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine can others see Christ in your actions? Can they sense his presence in your voice? Jesus predicted his own death in this passage, and he also instructed us to be children in the light. Here's three ways to do that. We walk in the light. 
We put into action those lessons and commands that God allows us to see. Two, put your trust in the light. Confidently depend on Christ for your present and future. Become children of light. Allow Christ to shine his light through you so that others might see the light. A lot of what we do on this earth, I don't know if we'll ever be aware of it on this side of the river. But I do believe that the day is coming. When we cross that river and we are in glory, that there will be people that will come up to you and say, I am here because of you. I am here because you overcome whatever it was in your life that, that kept you from sharing Christ, but you did it for me, and I'm here because of you. I, I think there's going to be more than one instance of that for many of us. I don't know that. I, I think here on earth sometimes God knows we get the big head, of, but nonetheless, we need to really understand that. What has God said to you this morning, and what are you going to do about it? That's what I want you to take home. If you need Jesus this morning, you want help getting connected with him, you need prayed with, please, please come on down. We, we'd love to do that. that. That is why we're here. Title of this, next week's message is a little different. It's entitled, How to Plan Your Own Funeral. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you for being here this morning and blessing us and being real. So right now, God, I know that you have said something to each one of us, and I think the real crux of the matter is whether we do anything with it or not. I believe a lot of times, Holy Spirit, you, you speak to us, and especially when we're in a service. It's a lot easier in here uh, than it is out in the world. And we listen, and we might even make some promises, and it changes when we walk out these doors. So right now, this morning, I pray for each one of these people that I love dearly, Lord. And I pray whatever that is going on in their life, that if they needed to confess something, if they needed to ask forgiveness, if they needed to go to somebody and tell them how much they love them or whatever, whatever that might be, that we might just be obedient children today and do what you've asked us to do. I love you, God, and I love these folks. I just ask that you bless them now. For we ask in the name of Christ, amen.